welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, we just thank you right now for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we thank you that the Bible tells us of your character. When we say you are holy, it means that you are altogether different, but you are pure, God. That means you can be depended on, you can be relied on, that when your yes is said, it means yes, and when you say no, you mean no. It means we can trust you, God. And then, God, we have gathered here today to have you speak into our lives in a world where there is constant communication flowing our way constant messages coming into our world. And we need you to break through all of the things in our mind and our heart and the things in our culture. And we ask God that you would speak clearly today. Father, we pray that during this time that the gospel message of Jesus Christ would penetrate our hearts and we were reminded of what you've done for us. In order for that to happen, God, we, we pray that you would do what you do. Speak through men. Speak through me, God. You, you, it is miraculous that you have chosen all the types of ways that you could speak to humans. You choose humans to speak to humans, God. And so I ask you again, God, to work on my heart and allow the Holy Spirit to carry the words to the people's hearts. And we ask that we would be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks guys for coming out today to uh, Bridge Church. If you're here for your first time, we're actually starting a new series. And that series really has been built out of the idea that um, as a church, we are going to constantly wrestle with conflict because we're different people. We come from different backgrounds. We have different opinions. We have different perspectives and different ways that we interpret life. And so because of that, conflict shouldn't be something that we are worried about. It actually should some, be something we should expect because of the very nature of the way we are, the way we see things. It's, it's the way that life works. You know, I, I have a joke I'm going to tell, <laughs> and it is incredibly corny. So your laughter really is required because it, it may not be funny, but I'm praying that it is funny, okay? Are you guys ready? Thank you. Group of porcupines one time. Well done. Well done. Well done. Group, group of porcupines were uh, traveling together, and they decided, you know, we ought, to, we ought to go on a retreat. And so they got together, and they went on a retreat. And, uh, the, the, you know, all the porcupines were crying and just deep, deep moments, and they were sharing their hearts, and one of the porcupines stood up and said, um, you know, I really feel like this is a, an incredible moment, powerful moment for us. I figure we ought, to, we ought to do a group hug. And all the porcupines came together, and they did a group hug. And they all said, ah, oh, that hurt. And one of the porcupines said, you know what I've realized? The closer we get together, the more we hurt each other. <laughs> see that? You see that? 
<laughs> praise God, praise God. It's, thank you, thank you. It's impossible to get close to people without hurting them. It is impossible to get close to people without the potential of hurting them. If you do not want to be hurt, then you do not want to be loved. Because the nature of relationships means you're going to get close to people and people are flawed. And so we today have to be able to unpack the reality of being able to love one another as a church. You know, the Bible actually, I I do weddings often, and when I do them, I always unpack the meaning of love because it is one of the most misused words that we have in the English dictionary. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is unpacking these incredible ideas of love. And he's doing that because the church had come together in 1 Corinthians, and there were all different types of people coming from all different backgrounds. And he says this, it's a powerful picture in verse 3. He says, if I give all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So it tells you God's perspective on love. He's actually saying that there is a person who is willingly giving their body to be burned on a stake for the glory of God. And from God's perspective, he's saying, you actually didn't gain anything with me. That really doesn't mean anything to me. Earlier in the verse, he said, you could give all your money away. So he's saying, all the execution that we have, all of the efforts that we have in church and in ministry, there's really a deeper point than just giving yourself to something. He says, love is patient and it's kind. The word patient there is the imagery is of like having a, a candle with a long wick where it takes a long time for it to slowly burn. It's kind means we're connected. We, we feel that we are kindred. We, 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 we try to be able to meet each other where we're at. It goes on. It talks about not, not envying or boasting, but it's saying love is not rude. It doesn't attack the person. You know, love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable, and it's getting at not easily irritable. It's not resentful. It's not carrying all these pains that it has towards people. But it goes on, and see those words in red. Love bears all things. But what it's saying is love bears with people through all things. Love believes all things. No, love believes in people through all things. Love hopes all things. No, love hopes alongside of people. And love endures all things. Love endures in such a way that I will continue to work with people. This is not talking about love in a kind of an abstract way. It's talking about how you deal with people. People. And the Bible says in John 13 that the world will know us by our love for one another. That is our brand. That is our distinction. That is what we should be known for. So if we really whittle down to the brass tacks of church, we should be a declaration to the world of what it's like 
when different people come together and care for one another through those differences. Right now, our world is more divided, at least up front, than it has been in my lifetime. And, there, and much of this tension is ethnic. And we have always desired for our church to be a place of diversity, of dealing with one another in such a way where the amount of melanin in your skin does not define the way that I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to actually care for you. And I would be remiss if I did not say this. Oftentimes, it is important for us as a church where we are mostly Caribbean and African-American, it is very important that we, in the midst of all this madness, don't create little ethnic huddles where we always go in the corner and always have these taglines like, you know how them white people are. Because this is not the barbershop. Where, now, and, and again, I've, listen, I've done sermons on oppression and all this other stuff. I'm not worried about what you think about me. What I'm trying to tell you is we cannot be defined by the oppression of our past or the oppression that's going on now and the bitterness that we might have. We cannot be defined as a church by that. And you can smile all you want in front of people that look different than you. There is something they feel when they don't feel like you accept them. And so it is important that this go to the core of your being, that you see this is what we have to be as a church. We have to be a loving church if we are going to live out the ethic of John 13, that they'll know us by our love. That when I think of that church, you should see the way they deal with people. You should see the way they, they're so patient, they bear, they hope, they endure. You should see that church. And it really doesn't matter how you look. It really doesn't matter your background. It doesn't, doesn't matter how much baggage you brought in. They'll, they'll deal with you. Oh, they're known for that. Well, that. That's our requirement as a church. That's what we must strive for. And if we do anything else, you know, we were talking about different sermon series that we're thinking about next year. And one of the things that we, we as pastors always kind of have to come back to is what Paul says in 1 Timothy, that the goal of our instruction is love from a sincere heart. If you are not becoming a more loving person, we're missing the point. We're actually failing you. If we've taught you all these different ideas and perspectives on the Bible, but you are not changing the way that you love God and love people, we have actually failed you as pastors. Now it is, um, so then when you come to the opportunity of conflict, when you come into those opportunities, it is not something to shrink away from. It is not something that you should be afraid of. In fact, it is an opportunity of growth and an opportunity to experience growth in such a way where you are going to become a more loving person. That is the essence of conflict and controversy. This, this is all, love is built out of controversy and conflict and how you respond to it says so much about your maturity as a Christian. And so we, we want you as this series is really about you having in your heart 
not being afraid, not running away from conflict, but dealing with conflict, getting in the tunnel of chaos, talking with people, dealing with your hurts and pains with them. And so we want you to worry less about going through conflict and focus more about growing through conflict. That's what this entire series is about. Now, Christians are the worst with this. We really are bad. Because we have a tendency to stuff down the way we really feel in order to play church and to be together. And so because of that, we, we, we end up having Ken Sandy in his book, Peacemakers, um, creates this sliding scale. But he basically says you either are, you're having, he says really three things. There's peace faking, peace breaking, and peace making. And, um, but he says the two problems there are peace, peace faking and peace breaking. Now, peace faking is when you just play pretend. <laughs> you act like there's not really a problem, and there's all types of problems. And this has been my Christian experience, um, you know, because I'd go home after church, and it would be like the real story. Like, sister so-and-so was there, and I was like, hey, girl, then I go home, and I'm like, oh, that's how you really feel about her. And that's what I grew up with. I thought that's just what you do in church. And so the Bible actually um, kind of creates this imagery of um, what happens when you are a talebearer. Um, um, in uh, the Proverbs, it talks about what a, a talebearer is. I think we have a, the proverb up there. Um, proverbs 18, do we have that up there? We don't. We do. We don't have Proverbs. We don't have that verse. <laughs> I don't know why we don't. But what the Bible says is the talebearer tells their gossip, and it, it says it's like a chewy morsel in your soul, delicious to the hearer. So what you want, what happens is when you, when you gossip about people, you pretend that you're cool with them, but then in reality, you tell their weaknesses to other people for the purposes of entertainment. See, what you want is, you ever, um, you know, I like Reese's peanut butter, you know, or some kind of like delicious snack. And you know, you, if you ever really wanted it and you get it, you go, mmm, that was good. That's what you want people to do when you tell other people's business. You want, you want to hear that, mm, so it's just like, yeah, well, this girl did this, and she said this, and that's why she's like this. It's like, what? Mm. And you like it because it's, it, it, sometimes, in fact, sometimes when you don't have relationships with people, some of the best things to do is to talk about other people, right? Because it kind of, it kind of supplements the lack of relationship you have. So you talk about other relationships you don't, that you, you have problems with. And so this is what we do in the body of Christ. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not actually talking in a way where I'm like, I wonder if this is happening. I know this is in our souls as people. And so 
conflict must be managed, almost like I shave, where I know every week I've got to shave down because it's going to grow out of me. Conflict must be managed in the same way. You've got to deal with it weekly, monthly, because it's in your heart. As people, we are different. We see things differently. We feel different things. We interpret things differently. So you've got to be constantly managing conflict. So conflict is not a a what or when. It's Rather, it's not an if, but it's a when. You are going to have to manage this in your life. And you might have come out of a home where no one ever dealt with stuff. But the brokenness of your past does not define your future, and we don't have to deal with people that way. So, you know, on on that end of, you know, you have gossip, but the other thing that happens when we fake peace is we, um, we have bitterness that gets raised up. The Bible in Hebrews 12 and 15 says to be sure that there's no root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble. Now you think about what a root, roots are oftentimes much deeper and stronger than branches, right? And so the imagery that he's saying is make sure it's not there. Look around for the roots that are there. Look down and make sure that there aren't these thick issues in the heart that are damaging relationships. I'm going to talk about bitterness in a, after a while, but bitterness essentially is when, not just, not just when I'm, I'm in pain or when I have anger, but it is when I want retribution. It's when I want you to feel what I feel. And I hold that feeling. In fact, it's not just, one of the things that is important that you realize is that it is not just that I feel anger towards you, it's that I live in it. And I am imprisoned to it. And it is rooted down deep inside of me. And this is what happens when we play pretend. The people that fake peace, this is what happens to them. They end up, their their goal essentially is to have self-preservation. I just don't want to get into all that. that's not me. I'm, I'm an introvert. Not, you know what I'm saying? I don't like to you know, get all the... That's not me. I like to do all that. Because you don't want to go through the pain. Because every time you go through conflict, your heart begins to race. You, you have all these mixed feelings on the inside. And it's hard. And you're going to have to probably die to self some just to have the courage to have the conversation. And so you want to protect yourself. And in many ways, you want to protect what you think about yourself. <laughs> and what you end up sacrificing is authenticity. And you end up b- presuming people are like you. You know, we went on an outreach uh, yesterday. I was so excited about what we were able to accomplish in the outreach yesterday. And, you know... Um, they said we got like 200 different contacts and we're just handing out light bulbs and I was so excited. But one of the things that Rich told me last night was, James, you will be shocked at how much church hurt is out there. It's just so much. And, you know, we went out to Flatbush and so many people are hurt and so many people are dealing with just what happened to them in church and all this, right? And when we start to unpack that, people stop going to church because they don't feel the church is a place that they can actually be themselves and be actually connected with people. And so this is what happens when you fake peace. But the other side of that is peace breaking. Peace breaking. 
peace uh, breaking, those folks keep it real at all costs. You know, they're going to tell you the truth. The Bible says tell the truth. They're like, well, I think it says tell the truth in love. I think you missed that last part. In fact, oftentimes, peace breakers find their identity in being honest, but not loving. And so they exalt honesty above love, and they have this tough, they tough. Yeah, you tough, because of where you're at, where you're from, you know, or you intimidate people and you like it. You like it. And there's a coat of armor you wear with your so-called honesty. And so your goal, oftentimes, when these people get into conflict, their goal is to blame. And they are sharper than any lawyer you've ever met. Quick to defend quick to shift, very hard to get them to be honest about themselves. But they're very sharp and very clear about your faults, well-versed in what you've done. And what they're willing to sacrifice is the relationship itself. Fine, go ahead, I don't care. And deep down, deep down, these people, they're hard, they're so-called strong, but they are alone. Oh yes, they are alone. And they want relationships, but they don't know how to get there. They're so proud, unwilling to look inside. Peace faking and peace breaking, on one end, what you sacrifice is authenticity, on the other end, the other thing you sacrifice is relationships. And so because the church has a tendency to fake peace and break peace, we lack authentic relationships. And the only way to, to really have authenticity in these, this series, the first thing that we need to do is kind of look under the hood and look at what's going on inside of you when you get those immediate feelings, right? That arousal of anger, that intensity, the, your, your pace is getting quicker, your feelings are getting stronger, your mind is racing, and you feel these moments of wanting to have retribution for what that person said, did, even when you think they're thinking things about you, it's working on the inside. And so you have to get clear on what's happening inside of you and begin to manage that for you to successfully work through. And so we're going to give you some more practical tools in the rest of this series, but I just want you to first deal with that moment when your interest or your, your feelings are peaked. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, right? Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, it's going to come back up. Yeah, not now. Praise God for you, though. Thank you for your attention to detail. <laughs> uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to who? The devil. All right. Now, look at the first part of that. Be angry. You know, the Bible just says... When you get angry, here's what you should do. 
be angry. Do not suppress the anger that you feel. Be angry. No. Fully experience the feeling that you have. It is piquing the interest of your mind. Don't try to not think about it. It is working on your heart. Feel it. It is working through your, your thoughts and your words. Say it to somebody. But the most important person that you should probably be speaking to is the Lord himself. You're thinking and feeling and saying, he's saying be angry. But to be clear, the Bible doesn't say get angry. It's not encouraging you towards this emotion. It's just saying to fully experience the emotion that you're having. <clears throat> now, if this is true, if the Bible is saying be angry, experience the anger that you have, then on one end it should be noted that it's very likely the Bible is telling us that anger is very appropriate at times. In fact, if you don't get angry, it's inappropriate. You're wrong if you're not angry. You know, when it comes to child rearing, the Bible says to, to raise your children in discipline and instruction. So you should be sitting down with your kids, telling them of the way of the Lord, but you should also be disciplining them. And kids must understand consequence. And they understand it through what you are upset about. You know, I've been on the train before and I've seen kids wilding out. And I, sometimes I want to help. But you've been in that moment, right? Where you've seen some kids or something and you've said to yourself, this is the moment, mom. Yes. You don't even have kids, you're like, this is the moment <laughs> where you need to help them to see they need to stop. Yes. And, you're, and you know, the mom's tired and she, you know, whatever, she's going through stuff, she's like, I can't even deal. It's like, well, if you don't, they won't realize this is wrong. E anger responds to wrong. And so they, they, your anger is appropriate. One of the things, the tensions that we have in the culture right now is when there's not anger towards people being oppressed or people dealing with lack of resources. Why aren't you, I'm angry about this. Why aren't you angry about this? Be angry. So the Bible is recommending anger, recommending you experience your anger. Ah. But Paul didn't stop there, right? He went right on and said, and. So it's together. Be angry and. So to have one without the other is a problem. Be angry and do not sin. Okay. All right. Well, what would the sin be? Well, he tells us. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So immediately when your anger begins to peak in your heart, the clock begins. You know, in basketball they have a shot clock. Clock begins. 
And now time is of the essence. How will you manage this emotion inside of you? So angry is a good thing, but it must be managed in due time. You think about fruit, you bring home, so useful, apples and oranges and bananas. Particularly bananas, love bananas, right? You leave them out, but over time, the air gets to it and the bacteria on the inside of it begins to rot it. So there was a moment that that was good, it was ripe, it was useful, but over time, it becomes rotten and spoiled. It's not helpful like it once was. In the same way, Anger, the emotion of it, in fact, almost any emotion that we have on the inside, it's useful and helpful and could probably help that person or help in a situation, but over time, it spoils inside of us, rots our feelings, begins to work against us and work against the people we have been upset by. One author said, anger is nothing more than energy around aroused against evil. When you think about that idea of arousal, you're, you just got the, every, all these feelings welling up. And so <clears throat> there is a place I want to go in this message that, that deals with this some more, but I, I want to just give you a quick tool to think about. Um, when you get angry, you have to begin to think through what you are specifically angry at. You cannot manage what you don't understand. And it is, it is oftentimes problematic that, you know, um, you, you might have all these feelings and you don't even know really why you're upset. Tim Keller had a very useful tool I saw once. He had these questions up here. What am I defending? What am I attacking? What do I want? And has something become too important to me? The Bible says in the book of James, anger and quarrels and fights happen amongst you because you ask, but you don't get what you want. And so oftentimes, conflict is happening because we want something and we can't get it, or there's something we believe deeply and we want to defend it. Something we see, we want to attack it. Something we want. And those are helpful questions for me. <laughs> I, was, I think I was meeting with Nate Mumford a while back and um, I was walking into the restaurant over here, Pure Restaurant, and uh, there were women that were outside and they were contemplating whether they would come in to eat. And uh, me, being helpful, I was walking in, and I said, hey, this is a really cool spot. I think you'd like it. I really like the salad. That's all I said. The, wo the woman said, um, thank you. We didn't ask you all that. You can go. And I was like, oh, my God. So I go, and I sit, and they sit next to me. And me and Nate are talking about Jesus Christ. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm looking over at them like, I'm actually thinking of things I can say 
like loud that will be shady and hopefully they hear it. Like I'm thinking about this in my mind. And I'm like, and there was one point where Nate was talking and I love Nate, but I was looking at them like, I don't even know what he's saying right now. I'm so mad at these people. <laughs> and of course, I didn't say anything to him. I, you know, I, you know, that's like dealing with this. And I went to the Lord and the Lord was like, James, she's wrong, all that, but you love being liked a little bit too much. Did you, was it really because the salad was that dope? Or you saw all those people out there and you think your winsome, cool personality can win people in every moment? And see, that's, I could, I could, I could live my whole life defending who I am. I could live my whole life talking about what people do. But when the person who made me begins to deal with me and speak into who I am and my tendencies, it turns that moment, that small moment talking about salad and being in a restaurant, and it turns into an instructional place of how I deal with my whole life. You are going to try to secure your identity or you're going to be a servant who gives himself away. But when you secure yourself, you've always got to protect moments and think about yourself. But if you're a person who gives himself away, you're not constantly caught up in how you're seen and how you feel and all that. I mean, you, you, you need to think about how you feel, but you're not just caught up in how you look all the time. And that's, that's an issue God's dealing with me about. You know, I, I think about um, one time there was a, a conference and I, that, you know, I was, they, they called me up and it was a big old conference. They're like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to speak. And I was like, cool. And I, and I was on, in the, on the conference. I was like the face. I was like the face. I was like, I made it, God. I made it. I was like, I'm the face. Oh my God. So I go down there and I'm like, word, you know, it's my moment. Be ready. I'm all prepared. The night before the, the session went long, so I was the morning session, which is what they thought about me. But the morning session is not like the dope session. But the morning, I'm the morning session. A guy comes to me. He's like, hey, you ready? Okay. Oh, wait, hold on. We're going to cancel this session because they went long last night. So I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're canceling the session? I flew down here. But this, so, like, I called up, like, the main dude, and I was like, hey, man, the, so when's the next, like, when's my, it's like, man, you know, man, go to the back, go to the green room, hang out, man, just enjoy your time. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I'm stewing. And I'm like, what? What's going on? This, I, you know, I was the face. <laughs> and I don't even get on stage. I went back to the hotel, and you know, people were like, oh man, that's too bad. I was like, it doesn't matter, it's all of the Lord. <laughs> Go back to the hotel, I'm like, why did you do this to me? And again, the Lord, James, are you in love with platforms? You, you need that platform, don't you, James? You need it. And you know what, you say things like, I'll do whatever you want. What if I want you to do something that's not on stage? 
You say you're a servant. What if I wanted you to serve in a way where there's no microphone? That's what you say. Maybe, James, you want the platform more than me. And see, my anger, it, it was okay. I mean, they shouldn't have done that. that. That was okay. But as I entered into it, you see, because I could have been that guy that called them up and sat down with them and said, listen, um, I'm a church planner in New York City. Have you heard of it? Yeah. And I deal with a lot of stuff. And I have rent I'm doing. And like, I'm dealing with stuff. And you bring me down here. Do you understand my time? Do you understand my time? And you know those people exist. And some of you are them. And so we're, gonna, we're going to deal with entering into conflict in other messages, but I want you to begin to think about the conflict within you, what you're feeling on the inside. And as we said earlier, bitterness, bitterness, is when you're holding people, holding on to what people have done to you, holding on to what people have said to you, holding on to those feelings you had and you currently have. The Bible, the Bible's remedy for conflict, i.e. its means of being able to live in a community of differences. When pain and um, when we hurt one another, the Bible calls us to forgive one another. And it is the first step towards reconciliation. Now, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. I can forgive you. That does not mean we're cool yet. But the first step before reconciliation can happen, forgiveness must happen. Forgiveness must happen in your heart. And in the Lord's Prayer, the, it, it talks about, you know, um, wanting bread daily. <laughs> Give us our daily bread. And then it talks about forgiving our trespasses. And it's interesting because in the way that the rhythm of that prayer goes, it's like I'm praying for bread daily. And it would assume that you need to be forgiving daily, that you're asking for forgiveness from above daily, and that you need to be ushering into a culture or creating a culture of forgiveness daily amongst people, that that needs to be what's emanating from you, forgiveness daily. And Ephesians 4, verse 32, says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The person that lacks forgiveness in their heart really does not truly understand how they've been forgiven. One author said, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. You truly don't know how Christ has forgiven you and how he has dealt with the hurts that you've distributed to people. 
when I was pastor down in Atlanta, we did a series on conflict, and I, that, that week I had so much mediation to go through, and I'd be sitting there with two different people, and there would be, there would be a, a, a girl there, and she would be like, I said I was sorry. You know, I took her phone, and I dropped it in water, and I feel so bad, and I've already paid for it. She said, I already paid for it. And the girl would be sitting there, and I'm like, hey, well, she, I mean, she said she was sorry. She's, She's like, yeah, but I just, we just, I just can't. How could you do that? She said, I already said I was sorry. And I was sitting there and I said to her, I said, you have a problem. Because I, because I had been meeting with people all week. And I said, I am meeting with people that I truly understand why they're not forgiving them. Like they've been cheated on and they, you know, they hit them and all these different deep, deep, deep issues. This is not deep. You're just immature. She's asking you to forgive her and you're not going to forgive her? You have a problem. She's sitting here begging you and you, you have a problem. She's like, well, you just don't know what I've been through. I said, I, I do actually know what you've been through. I know that if you are a Christian, I know a man gave his life for you. And your story no matter how broken it is. It does not trump the cross. The cross is our story. The cross is why we love each other. It's why we forgive each other. It's why we're patient. It's why we bear. It's why we hope. It's why we endure. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is my motivation to care for people. It is what's been done for me. And he was innocent. And I'm guilty. Oh, an unforgiving heart is an unforgiving heart. You just truly don't know what was done for you until you cannot bear with people. You don't know how much Christ has bared with you. My prayer today is we are going to have a time of communion for us to remember that sacrifice. In fact, throughout this series, each week we are going to have communion to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that we would be reminded of why we forgive and why we want to be reconciled because a holy God gave himself, his son gave himself for a wretched people. Died for the sake of reconciliation. And so we're going to do that every week. But before we do that, there is one last piece that is so important. There is an enemy to our desire to be loving towards another. There's an enemy that is coming against our ability to talk to that person. There is an enemy that wants to keep us brewing and stewing in that anger. If we were to look back at that verse in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, be angry now, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it, manage it on the inside but don't give an opportunity to the devil. 
And there you see that inside of you there is a cosmic element to what you're feeling. There is something deeper happening inside of you. In the other translations of this verse, it doesn't say opportunity to the devil. It says, give the devil a foothold. Now, imagine if you would, two people. One person standing here and another person standing here. And this person is living their life, not knowing they've hurt you or offended you. And you heard this message and you think to yourself, I need to go to them and talk to them. And as I get ready to go, think of someone just pulling on your foot, grabbing at you and saying, don't talk to them. They don't care. You, you, you know how people are. You know how they are. No, 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 no. Stay right here. Don't walk across the room. Don't text them. Don't call them. You know how people are. And so the other thing that you have to understand in the the shot clock is on, the time is spinning, your anger is aroused, and what are you going to do? How are you going to manage it? The Bible says, in that moment, realize that unmanaged anger is the devil's workshop. And the Bible gives us this imagery of not just footholds, but strongholds. Well, think of that person now, they're there and they they want to say something, but they're not saying it, and they, they start to pull away, and the evil one pulls at them, and now think of them grabbing all of them. And now I don't have just a foothold, I've got a stronghold. And whenever that person comes around, that stronghold gets a hold of me, and I move away from them. Because there's a stronghold. A stronghold of bitterness a stronghold of resentment, stronghold because you were hurt in the past or they said what they said and you said, I'll pray about it and I'm praying about it, but you stopped praying about it and you started living in your anger. And we must be a church that breaks strongholds. We break strongholds. We tear down strongholds through the power of Jesus. Don't you see? People should be able to walk in here and not say that things always go right, but you guys always work through it. I mean, you, you, you do. You guys always work through it. I'm so impressed with this church. You know, it's, it's like you guys always talk it through. I mean, I, I, I saw what happened, and I saw the way she did that. I saw the way he said that, and man, I'm just so impressed with this church because it's not just the leadership that does this. I mean, it's people, if they, after a while, they come in here, and they, they don't live in their anger. And when I walk out of here, that's all that the world does. So I pray we are a diverse, unified church that brings glory to Jesus in this world. Now, what we're going to do is...
We're going to sing for a second. Then we're going to have communion. And I pray that you enter into that communion time and you're introspective. But we will also have people in the back to pray for you. I'll signal you as to when to take communion and when to pray. But I want you to take a second right now. Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Thanksgiving is coming. Hmm. Around the table of people that you may have weighty bitterness towards, or roommates, or coworkers, or friends, or people in this room right now. We ask that you would take that time to go to the back and just ask to be prayed over. Or you could take the opportunity to talk to that person right here. But what would it be like if we were known for our love? Jesus, right now, Jesus, right now, would you begin to work on our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you begin to minister to the deep wells of bitterness that may be at the heart of the Christian? Would you uproot those places that have become so deeply entrenched in our souls that we have almost forgotten how to care for certain people or to love certain people? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work on our hearts today. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.